0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Okay, you guys, I am totally annoyed by the Academy Awards. Okay, why? Well, of course, that slap heard around the world with Will Smith swatting at Chris Rock completely drowned out what should have gotten in my opinion, all the attention. The movie about people who cannot hear a slap or any other sound for that matter. I hope you guys saw CODA, which won best picture. Before I saw the movie last week, I was on a plane actually, and I I thought I need to see this movie because I heard so many good things about it. I did not know what CODA meant, and in case some of you out there don't, it stands for Child of Deaf Adults. And the movie is basically about a deaf family with one hearing daughter and their trials, tribulations, and triumphs. I mean, it is so amazing. In the real world, hearing loss is something every single one of you will grapple with, whether it's your hearing loss or that of someone you love. And, you know, here on Everyone Talks to Liz, we've heard stories on this podcast of amazing entrepreneurs and CEOs who've jumped into industries they knew nothing about, right? But my guest today took that to a whole new level. He set out to solve hearing loss by creating a solution that no one, not doctors or experts, had succeeded at. He is not a doctor. He's not even close, but he's amazing. And he's here to tell you how he's revolutionizing hearing restoration. I want to welcome David Lucchino to Everyone Talks to Liz. David, I love this story. Thank you for joining us.
1: Absolutely. And um, we're we're so thrilled to tell you about, you know, what we're doing in terms of, you know, restoring hearing. Um, you know, I think your opening comments on CODA were, were spot on and there there's a whole group of people that have genetic hearing loss Mm -hmm. uh, like you saw in the movie and and the the trials and tribulations that they have to experience and and the ultimate triumphs um you know we're talking about a different type of hearing loss this is really a hearing loss that's really driven by noise pollution uh and or sudden sensory hearing loss Mm -hmm. so because the world we live in is so loud Headphones, you know, earpods, air airplanes, subway platforms—that causes our hearing to decline over time, and and that's really what I want to you know talk with sure. you about today.
0: Well, it's it's become a much bigger deal. Because we jam these things so deeply into our ears. And I remember when Walkman came out. I'm old. Okay, so the Sony Walkman had the headphones, and it was such amazing sound. And my dad, who was a doctor, he was a urologist, but he'd say, Be careful. You have to protect your hearing. It's one of the most delicate senses that we have. You were not born with hearing loss, correct? But you were born with dyslexia. And in a way, it was your childhood experiences that that formed who you are today, the CEO of the company you co-founded, Frequency. Open your memory banks for us, if you will, of what it was like growing up with dyslexia.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of feelings. You know, there there was pain and frustration, um, you know, sadness. I had an older brother and sister who were Very sort of traditional learners. Um, I wasn't. I struggled with spelling and learning languages. I went to 12 years of Catholic school, um, and so it was a pretty rigid curriculum. And I think, you know, what, what I did was, you know, I learned how to really do two things to, you know, navigate a system that wasn't particularly built to, you know, really focus on what I did well academically. And then I simultaneously learned not to let that system define who I am. And even though I didn't, I got two out of 20 on my spelling test in second grade or, you know, didn't do well in languages, um, you know, I was able to put those feelings and find a place for them inside of me and then push and focus on um, what it is that I was really interested in. And so, you know, that that was the gift that dyslexia gave me, which is not to define, not to let anyone else define who I am.
0: It's a huge jump to go from... Only getting two right on the spelling test to, are you guys ready? MIT business school. Hello. You got your MBA from MIT. What happened in between the time where you really were grappling with dyslexia to saying, you know what, I'm going to figure out a way to go to one of the top business schools in the world?
1: Yeah, no no one thought I can do it, Um, I guess, because that was an aspiration of mine ever since college. Uh, but i think you know along the way i learned to i learned my learning style you know i learned that uh, for example that if i would lecture to myself you know in a room and talk through you know whether it was you know learning about history or even math problems that was a much more effective way to get information into my brain than sitting there and reading a book um you know so it was incumbent upon me not to again let sort of the way I was being taught traditionally how to learn, but to try to figure out something on my own. And but it didn't happen overnight. There were you know plenty of ups and downs through middle school and high school and into college. Um, I actually got a my first master's degree from Syracuse University from the Newhouse School in journalism, and then I got my second master's degree uh, from MIT Sloan School of Business. And and on the MIT front, you know you kind of reach a level of sort of self actualization. Um, and what I mean by that is you know what they understood at MIT is you 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 work in teams and so i had a team of four people that i spent my my uh, my mba with and we we did a lot of work you know uh, in in a collaborative fashion so i had somebody who was a phd engineer i had someone from tokyo who was a business person i had someone from cameroon in africa mm. who who brought a, a different skill set and 80% of our work was done collaboratively and then 20% you know you had to carry the weight on your own Tell me about what
0: led to founding Frequency, because again, you weren't really dealing with hearing loss, but you clearly saw a need for this. How big is the need nowadays for people to find some type of solution?
1: Well, you know, the need's enormous. Right now, the World Health Organization estimates that there's well over a billion people um, at risk for hearing loss, uh, young people at risk for hearing loss. And then on top of that, you have, you know, hundreds of millions of people in the world that have sensory neuro hearing loss, uh, which is the type of hearing loss we're focused on. In the U.S. alone, there are 40 million people that well, we're targeting with our first therapy um, that, um, you know, that have this type of hearing loss mm-hmm. that we're focused on. So the, the need is massive. You have hearing aids, um, but, you know, they have a low level of, of people adopting them and actually sticking with them. And, you know, Liz, the other thing is, lay on top of that, th- there's more and more research that healthy hearing really leads to, you know, healthy cognitive skills. And if you have healthy hearing, it, it helps in sort of slowing or, or you know, uh, managing dementia, sure. or Alzheimer's. Well, so I think the need's only going to become more and more apparent to, you know, a wider, wider, you know, swath of people.
0: And there are people who feel that they're stigmatized if they're wearing that mechanical hearing aid you took a totally different approach. You are trying to solve this issue with a therapy, an actual drug. Is that correct? How did you come up with this idea, which nobody had done before?
1: You know, the the core of the technology, you know, came out of a partnership that I have with um, a professor at MIT named Robert Langer, um, who is uh, more patents than even Thomas Edison, and then another <laughs> gentleman named Jeff Karp from Harvard Medical School, and they were actually, believe it or not, Liz, they were looking at at some of their science uh, that was targeting the GI system, which is a highly regenerative part of our body. Mm-hmm. It turns over the inside lining of our GI system turns over every, you know, you know, forty eight hours or so, and um, and so they were able to, believe it or not, take small molecules and target different cells in the GI system and get them to respond um even more frequently and and they simultaneously to that breakthrough they had seen research that said a cousin of the you know the cells in the gi system that they're having success with are the the stem cells in your ear and that led, led them to sort of connect with me and for us to, to start a company back in uh, 2014 to really work on this issue. I
0: don't assume that anybody really understands how the ear works. But as I was studying this, people, as I understand, are born with about 15,000 hair cells inside deep inside each ear and the hair cells are often lost due to what we deal with now. Noise exposure, noise pollution, aging, viral infections, uh, exposures to certain medicines that are toxic to ears. So how do you regenerate? How did you even begin to put together a therapy that would help spur the regeneration of these hair cells, which have been destroyed in the ear due to Who knows, me jamming AirPods so deep into my ears and listening to, you know, the eagles or whatever, whatever I'm working out to.
1: The way it works is when when we're all sort of in our mother's, you know, belly, you know, in our third trimester, that's when Mother Nature will will actually cue the body to create these 15000 hair cells uh, or sensory cells on the cochlea. And um, and then and then we're born and evolution never anticipated you know, again, get headphones, um, you know, noise, you know, you know, big speakers, loud concerts and so forth. And so there was no cue to regenerate, you know, the the hair cells that are that are damaged. Right. All we're doing is going in and we figured out a way to temporarily sort of restart that system um, by using two small molecules. And, and, and so far, we've been able to see some real success in doing that. And so again we're not doing any surgery to the ear we're not sort of giving anyone a pill you know we put into your ear um, a a small gel that then will permeate a drug you know into the cochlea and cause this reaction to happen and the drug disappears very quickly so you don't need a long effect for it you just need to sort of kickstart that system and it's on for about 24 hours and we've seen biologically that you know we can have patients you know, have a prolonged, you know, improvement in hearing for up to two years. Wow. So it really is, you know, really is on the cusp of a true breakthrough, um, you know, as it relates to what patients can expect.
0: This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. One of the most highly regulated industries in the entire world is the big pharma industry, little pharma, biotech, any of these companies or entrepreneurs or dreamers like yourself who say, let me just try this. How many no's did you get? I mean, this to me is is really challenging.
1: Well, the nose started with my with my family. They thought I was crazy to <laughs> take this on. It didn't even make sense to my parents, who said, "A drug to restore hearing? You know, you know, it's not a mechanical device. How does that work?" And so there was a lot to overcome. And I, I think the reason why I like picking these goes back to my dyslexia, which is I like big, audacious challenges. Mm. I like someone telling me I can't do something and then going ahead and doing it. And it gets back to not letting the world define who you are. There is clearly an unmet clinical need. And we had a bit of a, um, a foot in the door with a with a, a therapeutic approach, uh, where you can get there where you get the body to regenerate from within. It's sort of a heal thyself approach, and I thought it made sense. And you just we went out and we told the story. Um, a lot of traditional investors at first didn't want anything to do with us. So I raised our first ten million dollars from really friends and family and private investors, and then I was able to bring in more institutional-based investors. Um, but even that we got you know. Listen there's no there's no company in the world right now that has a therapy for hearing loss. And so, you know, when you would approach big pharma, they didn't know what to do with you because you didn't fit any of their existing models. Right. So we really had to, you know, pioneer a whole new uh, you know, class of class of medicine if you will. And uh and with that, you just needed the confidence and the belief in the science and and really the qu- the quality of the team to continue to keep pushing and and overcoming, you know, You're both scientific and business obstacles.
0: David, pretend I'm your rich cousin. okay? Yeah. And we don't get along exactly. When we were growing up, there was a little bit of jealousy. But I've got money and you need to convince me. We have a lot of listeners right now who are trying to start businesses or dream of starting businesses. And they don't know how to approach people and ask for money. Ask me for money. What was your approach that worked for you that became successful where you wrestled money out of people who were skeptical?
1: Well, I think there's two approaches. I think um, you know, when you want money, ask for advice. And when you want advice, ask for money. Um, and so what I mean is um, you know, you talk to your rich cousin and you say, Listen, I got this, you know, idea I'm working on, it's really exciting. We have, you know, we have some real momentum going with with investors, we've done our model. And, and so you're kind of leading the the witness along, but Mm -hmm. but you're not so much asking them directly. Got it. And and that's one approach that's worked well for me. I think the other approach that's worked well is sort of through referrals. You know, you get, you get, you know, our first investor was actually a professor uh, from Harvard Business School. And if he invests and he put in the first hundred thousand dollars into our company, you know, there's 10 other people that know that he's a good, a good angel investor and they'll follow him. Got it. And so, looking for those types of investors was was kind of my overall approach. But then, you know, there are investors who basically, you know, are like the rich cousin. And listen, at the end of the day, this is about making a huge impact for patients and creating, you know, substantial shareholder value. And if it works, you know, your hundred thousand dollars is going to turn into, you know, potentially millions of dollars uh, because the idea is so big and audacious. And 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 that's also a very uh, very compelling idea for you know for investors. They don't want to typically invest in something that their $100,000 could turn into $200,000. Um, they want to take something that can turn into a million dollars. And this is that type of opportunity.
0: Okay. So how close are you? Tell me where you stand in the process here. You are obviously testing this. What's next? Yeah.
1: So we have conducted uh, a number of clinical trials that have taught us a tremendous amount mm-hmm. our first clinical study was a double-blinded placebo-controlled study where we showed statistical significance in hearing improvement which had never been shown or previously proven before and, and all of that data was published in the leading sort of scientific journal in the hearing space otology neurotology mm-hmm. we've done smaller clinical trials to see how we did in different populations um, we ran a clinical trial uh, that read out about a year ago where we had some real um, where we had design issues and it was an unsuccessful trial not because of the drug but again nobody's done hearing clinical trials to, to the scale that we're doing I mean we learned a lot we quickly applied those learnings and we have a follow-on phase two study that's currently enrolling in about 30 sites across the United States now nice and um, um, and we expect that to read out you know, late uh, 22 early 23 uh, and give us what I believe will be a definitive, understanding of, of our therapy relative to hearing restoration.
0: Can I just drill down and ask you, you, you said that one clinical trial was unsuccessful. That yeah. night, when you were lying in bed and your mind is racing or not, has there been a point, whether it was that moment or or elsewhere, where you said, oh, is this going to work? I, I need to prove my family wrong. Yeah. They didn't believe in this or this investor didn't believe in it. How did you overcome those moments of, well, let's call it what it is, failures?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, growing up with dyslexia is certainly a good training ground for overcoming failures. Um, And, Mm. um, you know, I I never thought that this is not going to work. I believe in the underlying science and I believe and it's been rigorous and it's been peer reviewed Um, in that in that instance, it was really human error. How we made some decisions about the design of the study, um, how we communicated some of the parameters externally and you know creating a, a, a situation where patients you know because of because of how we designed it were were i think um showing uh you know that their hearing wasn't as good as it really was they were mm-hmm. sort of tanking so they could get into the study and um and again we're not blaming the patient that was really our design issue and so i knew that listen you know, we hit a failure, let's look at it honestly, let's not kid ourselves, and let's understand wh- where it is that we need to improve. And so to do that, we brought in one or two outside experts that weren't emotionally k- connected to this program, and they really helped us sort through uh-huh. what we needed to improve. And then I think the clinical study we now have is going to be really a gold standard for, um, you know, for clinical studies going forward at measuring hearing improvement. Brilliant. And uh, so that's how you turn sort of, you know, Lemons in the lemonade, if you will.
0: Sure. I, you got to. Um, you know, I think about hearing. I think about hearing. And I can remember senior year of high school, my little boyfriend in high school loved very heavy metal and hard rock. And he took me to see the band UFO, the British band. And afterward, I think we were right by the speaker. My ears were ringing. And I was alarmed and I thought, did I just damage my hearing? He walked out and said, I love this feeling of ringing in my ears. It was so loud, it was so great. Uh, What have you learned where you could advise people? Because, man, you want to protect your hearing. It is so delicate, is it not?
1: So delicate. You know, what's, what's fascinating about the cochlea is, is it's this exquisitely designed system. Think of a piano keyboard with white keys and black keys. Mm-hmm. And the black keys are the stem cells uh, that all of us, you know, have in our ears. And the white keys are the hair cells um, that we have. And um, and what happens is noise comes in and it really shocks those hair cells. It's not ex- you know think about it. when evolution was creating our hearing, we were hunters and gatherers. You know we're sitting underneath the apple tree and there was no really loud noise around. And so you're asking a system that was developed for how we lived, you know 800 years ago or a thousand years ago to, to to be applied to where we are now. And so um, you're born with 15,000 hair cells, but we can literally see the hair cells that are damaged when we look at people who've donated their cochlea to science and and we know sort of their line of work and and sort of apply you know the the, the type of hearing loss they, the, and that they have whether it's high frequency or low frequency to the job or the environment that they lived in so you're know, wearing hearing protection is really important um, staying away from you know prolonged loud noises and mm-hmm. you know people are an example of something that we all encounter you know virtually you know on a weekly basis um, you see men and women working uh, you know, in the construction trades, you know, I mean, so it's all around us. And that's why it's a true, you know, epidemic uh, that needs to be addressed.
0: Yes, 100 percent. And it's just amazing uh, the, the process that you're going through and the journey you're on. As we finish up, for people who are listening and thinking, I'm dying to start a, a dream business, um, maybe solve a problem that the world faces right now, just as you are. What's the number one piece of advice you could give them?
1: Um, I just, you know, a couple comments, you know, it's per, you know, for me, it's perfectly normal to be apprehensive or uncertain. Um, there, There's no substitute for, you know, doing your legwork in advance and due diligence. Um, look at, you know, multiple opportunities um, and and figure out the one that's going to, you know, be the right fit for you. I mean, it's like, you know it's like a marriage um you know starting a business you want to do something that you're passionate about that you care about and that's what makes my job i think so effective is you know once i was convinced this was the right thing to do it it wasn't hard for me to ask for money because i truly believe Mm. that you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna be successful and you have to reach that state of of belief in order to really you know push through the ups and downs that are inevitable and I, th- I think, you know, and most importantly, and this is a the theme for our conversation, um, you know, don't let you know, anyone else sort of define who you are, but at the same time, you know, be open to feedback. I think that's one of the critical things is, you know, I, my goal was never to be the smartest person in the room, but I always wanted to have people who had the information that I needed to be in the room with me. And my job was to figure out how to get it out of them and then apply it quickly Mm -hmm. whatever problems were at hand. And that's really, you know, and that's really kind of, I think, much the key of my success.
0: Congratulations. I know you're not there yet. Uh, There's never really a finish line. We talk about that a lot here on this podcast. You're always reaching and aiming, but we wish you the best of luck. Keep us posted on the developments at Frequency, David.
1: Thank you, Liz. Great
0: to be here. Great to hear your story, David Lucchino. Can you imagine this, you guys? He's not a doctor, and he's working on this. He targeted it and said, I want to solve this. Thank God for dreamers, and I know There are some dreamers out there listening right now. I want you to take these stories and use them as fuel to put in your engine and go, go, go. Thank you so much for listening to Everyone Talks to Liz. Oh, my God. We are doing so well. We are getting more than 100 thousand downloads a month. That means so many people love these stories. They are true stories of American success. I cannot thank you enough. Spread the word about everyone talks to Liz. And of course while you're at it, 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox Biz. It's the claim and countdown. I'll see you then. Thank you so much.